everyone remain calm. Back for more, huh? Oh, yeah. Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. Somebody talk to me! What is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. How long is it going to take for that to spread around the globe? This was all John Hammond's dream. Hold on to your butt. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 286th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. Thank you once again for tuning into the podcast this week. It really means a lot, and uh, I wanted to start off the show by saying thank you uh, to everybody out there who's been listening to the show, subscribing to us over on YouTube, following us over on social media, whether that's over on Twitter, Instagram, or even on t- uh, TikTok. You know, we're, we're over there now. Uh, but uh, thank you so much. It really, really means a lot. And, uh, you know, we we continually see uh, the, the amount of listeners, our audience go up, and it really means so, so much that all of you out there are just invested in Jurassic Park, that you really want to hear people talk about Jurassic Park. That means a lot because that's the reason I started the show is to talk about Jurassic, to have other people talk about it, and to have you guys listen to it. It really means a lot. So thank you again, whether you've been listening uh, for the past six years uh, in total or you you just uh, got on board today. It really means a lot. So thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy each and every episode we put out. But I want to talk about today's episode. So in today's episode... We are presenting another episode of Dino DNA with Connor O'Keefe. So Connor is joined today by James Ronan to discuss hadrosaurs, how they are in the films, how they were in real life, and everything in between. As always, uh, you know, I, I always say that I, you know, I don't know a ton about dinosaurs in particular, whether it's, you know, their features, uh, their like how they looked, how they sounded. What I know is what I see in the film. So I appreciate that I have people like Connor and James today to give me all the details on some of those dinosaurs from the Jurassic franchise. And today they're going to be discussing all those hadrosaurs that you see. So thank you so much to them. I'm really, really interested to hear what they have to say. But before we get started, I'd like to take care of some quick business. I'm a little under the weather, so I'm trying to get through this kind of quick for you guys. Uh, Over on YouTube, uh, I did a toy hunt where I was actually able to track down the uh, Carcharodontosaurus. So that was pretty cool. I was able to find that on the shelves. And then I I unboxed the Explorer set, you know, the the T-Rex escape pack, whatever, you know, the long name for it. The one with the Ford Explorer and Timmy. Uh, So that was really fun to unbox. I've been kind of doing something a little bit different where... Instead of doing the whole review and spiel and all that stuff, I'm just kind of presenting the object and just letting you guys take a look at it. And and I'm going to do the same this week with the Dimorphodons from the Amber Collection, so please check that out. And also, the the sneakers from Reebok, I had a chance to unbox mine and and, uh, take a look at them, and they are so, so cool. So please check out those videos this week. But that's all I have for you in this intro, so why don't we go ahead and get this episode kicked off with another installment of Dino DNA. Well, maybe dinosaurs have more in common with present-day birds than they do with reptiles. You do understand these are actual animals, right? You read about them in books, you see the bones in museums, but you don't really believe it. You should hear a four-year-old try to say Archaeornithomimus. I read both of your books. You like dinosaurs back then. All vertebrate embryos are inherently female anyway. They just require an extra hormone given at the right developmental stage to make them male. You know that I'm not at liberty to reveal the asset's genetic makeup. Nothing in Jurassic World is natural. You will see a herd of the first dinosaurs on our tour, called Dilophosaurus. How would you classify it, Billy? Suchomimus snout. Think bigger. Baryonyx. Spinosaurus aegypti. Actually, Charlie, those are herbivores. They really wouldn't be interested in fighting with each other. But these ones here are carnivores, and they really like fighting with each other. They use their teeth and their claws to rip each other's throats out. Ow. 
He's three. Let's wait till he's five. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Dino DNA. My name's Connor, and this week I'm joined by the fantastic James Ronan. You'll know him. Say hi, James. Hello, Connor. How are you? I'm very good. How are you doing, James? Yes, I'm really great. I'm really looking forward to getting into what we're going to be talking today. Yes, because today we're going to be talking about a specific group of dinosaurs from the films that James um, knows quite well. Would you like to let us know what we're going to be talking about, James? Yes, so we're going to be looking at hadrosaurs today, where we're going to be talking about the duckbill dinosaurs in the Jurassic franchise and how they relate to their real-life counterparts. So that's a big focus of my thesis, actually, for this um, this year. So I'll be finishing my studies next year, and that's when I'll be finishing my thesis. But my thesis is looking at um, hydrosaurs and their, their dental batteries and how advanced they were. So, so yes, I'm looking forward to getting into all of this. This stuff is so cool. For those of you who don't know about all of this, it's going to be a real treat because hydrosaurs are absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're the so, best dinosaurs. <laughs> they, they, they really are. And I, we'll get into this a bit later, but they, they're kind of used as like a set dressing sometimes when by themselves, they're, they're pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. So just a, a recap of this segment, if, you've, if it's been a while or if you're a first time listener. listener. So as, as James said, we're going to be exploring the creatures seen in the Jurassic movies taking a look at their designs and also comparing them to the real-life extinct animals that inspired their appearances in the movies. Um, in many cases, they vary from the real-world counterparts. Um, and that's because paleontology is a constantly changing um, field and constantly progressing with new discoveries every year. There's also a little bit of artistic license with some of the creatures, which will get into and just remember this isn't necessarily a critique of the films it's more of an exploration of the design choices and comparing those to what we know now about the dinosaurs and I'm not a paleontologist I work in museum education but James is currently studying paleontology so between us we we might know a few things yeah definitely yeah we've got both different insights the fact that you you know you work in a museum and I've been studying this as a subject and doing various projects so it's uh, we've got a good balance here of, of yeah all of this yeah De- definitely think so and um yeah lots of paleontology is based on many educated guesses because you don't often find a full dinosaur do you james uh not very often no like some of the more recent discoveries of hadrosaurs have been incredibly interesting so i'll, I'll be looking forward to talking a bit more about that later on yeah okay so Hadrosaurs, as James said, they are a family of dinosaurs commonly known as duck-billed dinosaurs. Um, herbivorous and mainly found in the Cretaceous, aren't they, James? Yeah, they are, yeah. Mainly found in the late Cretaceous. Late Cretaceous, yeah. Um, and of the ones in the films, there's one that I'm sure everyone springs to their mind, Parasaurolophus. Um, an amazing, amazing dinosaur in the films. Uh, first appeared in the first Jurassic Park um, in the distant background in the Brachiosaurus Lagoon scene, but then got a bit more of a starring role in the Lost World Jurassic Park. And since then, it's been in every film and I think every piece of media, right? Because it was in Basilet Big Rock and Camp Cretaceous, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think it's been in every single film. And it's mostly, yeah, mostly in, in most media, really. Like, it has a big presence in the video games, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that it's, like, when you think of Jurassic and what's been in all the films, obviously, Velociraptor, Tyrannosaurus, but Parasaurolophus has been there the entire time. It's a bit of a sleeper hit, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, the scene in JP is so brief, but it's such a fantastic sequence where we see them at the waterhole. And, yeah. yeah sort of the, the group together and um if, if you look out very closely you can actually see some juvenile parasaurolophus in that scene as well um which is always interesting to sort of think about because obviously we you know in in jp it's not really talked about really in the sense of like the juvenile animals so yeah it's a little yeah. bit of a bit of a fan fat there yeah that's a really good point that maybe they were shipped over a bit later from sauna or something yeah mm-hmm. yeah 
Um, and just on that note of those that appearance in the first movie, um, if you haven't already, check out um, Tom Fishenden's episode of the Innovation Center from July 2020. This interview with Ty Rubin Ellingson, the visual effects art director of Jurassic Park, because I believe he has something to say about um, he actually helped build those digital models for those Parasaurolophus in that movie. Um, and that they were really in the background. So they probably weren't high resolution like what we see in the later films. And uh, yeah, I feel like from that, that initial appearance, they have kind of had a background role wouldn't you say james yeah i mean like in jp i i love the fact as well that we have like the mural like you see the paris roller first like stirred and obviously yeah you heard of them and then you see like the velociraptor i mean in jp they're very much in the background but then they do take more of like a present role from the lost world onwards don't they throughout the film yeah yeah definitely, definitely. okay so as for the real life uh paris Rolophus, um found like cretaceous um, in North America, um, and it's been discovered in both the USA and Canada. Is that right, James? Yeah, that is right, yeah. Um, New Mexico um, and Utah, and possibly in China as well. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, very sort of diverse. Wow, uh, quite widespread. Yeah, quite widespread. This is the thing, like, with hadrosaurs, there are so many of them. Um, obviously, Parasaurolophus is really well known. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they they spread across the globe like crazy um, and really diversified. Um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of sort of like the, their appearance in JP, um, obviously they're quite. They've got like a. I think it's like a greenish like color. Yeah, they do. Them. Yeah. Um, and obviously in in the Lost World we get more of like the the red. It's like the beige color, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's there's various different designs, and obviously in terms of like sexual dimorphism. Um, we know that dinosaurs, you know, were likely to have, you know, be very different in terms of their coloration. Um, and it is thought as well that, the, you know, the um, the resonating chamber, you know, the crest um, was used potentially for vocalization. Um, and it yeah. also might, might have been used for display as well. So right. we still don't really know, but there's been a lot of studies done on the Parasaurolophus resonating chamber. Um, yeah. And I've, I've looked at a few of the papers of, about that in the past. Um, so, you know, but it's, it's interesting because some of these hadrosaurs had crests that were linked to their nasal system, linked to their, you know, to their nose. Yes, yeah. Um, but then some other hadrosaurs, um, like Edmontosaurus, for instance, yeah. uh, doesn't. And it, it had like a, a cock comb crest on the top, which was like just like fleshy. Mm, um, that so, was quite yeah, recently uh, was, figured yeah. out, wasn't it? That was in 2014, yeah. It was like Philip Curry and uh, a couple of other uh, paleontologists wrote that paper. Right. And, um, yeah, so they discovered that. And that was a recent discovery, um, which was actually... You can find it on the Jurassic World website, actually. There's a there's an image of the Edmontosaurus. It doesn't have the cockcomb crest, but then in Jurassic World Evolution, Frontier actually added that in, which yeah. is quite nice. Yeah, yeah. So, it's nice. It was like a good kind of retcon to the design. And yeah, it carried yeah. over into the toy as well, the Mattel toy. That has yeah. the, the comb. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so talking about crests with uh, Parasaurolophus, is that it's not just one species, is it, James? There's a, there's a few species of Parasaurolophus. Yeah, there are. There's um, Parasaurolophus walkeri and um, Parasaurolophus tubicin as well. Um, yeah. And also another one as well. I, I struggle with the names because they are yeah. complicated. Um, I think... Yeah, is Paris it the Wolf Wolf we get in the movie? It is, is the, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the type species, yeah. Uh, how, how can you tell the difference between them? It's because of the crest, isn't it? I think it's yeah, mainly to do with the crest length, actually, I think. Okay, um, okay. From what I, from what I know, um, there might be also differences in terms of size, but um, okay. in terms of the, yeah, the actual species size, but I think it's mainly based on the crest, um, which is similar to like Ceratopsians as well, really, because there's a lot of different you know we've got triceratops horridus and yeah. stuff like that and uh there's different types of triceratops and whatnot so yeah yeah that um it's it, it is really fascinating just like the the sheer diversity of of hadrosaurs like even the fact that even within parasaurolophus you have multiple species i think it's something that's often forgotten when you see images of the mesozoic and there's like a triceratops and like a 
and like a, a hadrosaur and it's just like one of each but actually there's like so many different types of each family of dinosaur and yeah even within species i think that's that's quite often lost yeah definitely i mean like the fact that we've got like two group different separate groups of hadrosaur within the hadrosauridae anyway we've got the lambiosaurines and uh, the sauro it's the sauroloffinae as well so it's like you've got these both two different groups of hadrosaurs and they sort of really diversified out of that um and there's there's so many reasons for that as well which yeah. we still don't know and that's partly what my thesis is sort of looking at really is looking at how they ate and the specialization in their jaws yeah and looking at what what reasons led to their teeth being you know as uh, as advanced as they were yeah um, i mean these hadrosaurs had over like 500 teeth in each of their parts <laughs> of their jaw it's incredible and um a lot of the you know the, a lot of the developments are seen you know within the dental you know the actual dentine are very yeah. similar to what we see in bison today and okay. obviously bison are you know are mammals uh, yeah but you know we there's some very big similarities in terms of the teeth in terms of how the specialization in terms of what they were eating um so they, you know they were eating the, the vegetation of the time which was like ferns and conifers and horse tails yeah um and you know we still don't know why hadrosaurs just you know rapidly diversified because the point of evolution in terms of where the dental battery actually developed was early on yeah but then the jaw speed between these hadrosaurs changed throughout so right. there's developments based on is it based on the environment at the time is it based on the food yeah. Is it based on the fact that these hadrosaurs are now in different parts of the world and they're adapting to the areas that they're in? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many different reasons. That's why I love hadrosaurs. They're my favorite dinosaur group because they're just they're so different to most dinosaurs that we know about. Yeah. That that the the uh, you're talking about the the chewing mechanism and like uh, Edmontosaurus had one of the most unique chewing mechanisms of any animal ever as far yes. as i i understand yeah I mean, you, can yeah. you explain how exactly that that works it's quite unlike anything we have today isn't it well i mean like most yeah i mean had i mean edmontosaurus i mean the, the the dental battery is highly advanced i mean yeah really it's really interesting in the sense that these dental batteries were actually got more advanced over time Okay. So because they, they they sort of were grinding this vegetation down to a pulp and then swallowing it, um, it basically meant that basically they were just chewing it into sort of um, I suppose you could say like a like sort of like a a gum type. It, was, it would have been like very easy to swallow, so it wouldn't be right. like you know because obviously they would have you know digested it and they might have that as you know um, gore stones as well and stuff like that. Okay, so cool. That, potentially, um, yeah, to sort of grind that vegetation up um in the, in the stomach but yeah basically kind of like I, the deleted scene when um alan and ellie find out why the triceratops is sick yes yeah yeah, yeah. so it's one of those things where the teeth basically got more worn down over time and because they got more worn down that helped more with their feeding so as right. they aged actually their the actual the you know their dental battery actually got better as they aged which is which is quite fascinating really that's really cool yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it is incredible. Just some of these things that, that like dinosaurs has that we just we just don't see these days. Um so many amazing adaptations in the in the dinosaur world. Um and actually talking about feeding, I'm trying to think from is there a scene in any of the films where you see a parasaurolophus eating? Maybe in Jurassic Park three they seem to be grazing in the field. Would that have been? I mean, there wasn't grass in the Lake no. Cretaceous, was there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think there was. I mean, during there was a big diversification in terms of vegetation, which was during the it's called the Cretaceous Terrestrial Revolution. Yeah, um, okay. and, that, and that was 125 to 80 million years ago. Right, um, and that basically was where plants and insects and birds and dinosaurs and mammals just diversified rapidly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in Jurassic, I mean, I know in Jurassic World we see the hologram of that Parasaurolophus, and we do actually see it eating. Oh, um, yeah. So and there is that actually, scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we actually see the mouth moving. It's obviously eating something, and that seems fairly accurate. Like when you look at that, it looks fairly accurate. But um, 
but yeah, we I would say we don't really see them eating anything really. Yeah. At all throughout the franchise. So. And and talking about um oh oh I just thought of a new example actually in Camp Cretaceous um as of the time of recording that that came up quite recently um they they were eating the um the bioluminescent algae oh, I yes, think it was were. in the yeah. caves yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that, really. I know yeah. <laughs> there, there's been papers that I've read this past year about the fact that hadrosaur, that, that, that groups of hadrosaurs um, lived very much in sort of like swampy areas, right. and like their nesting sites were very much in those type of areas, close to close to water, which does make sense because obviously yeah. the young would need to, you know, have access to water, and it would probably be a safe place for them to like munch on, you know. Yeah, horse tails and stuff like that, and yeah. the vegetation around. So, but yeah, I mean, in Camp Cretaceous, it's interesting the fact that we see Parasaurolophus, you know, Parasaurolophus have a bit of a bigger role. Yeah, um, and the bioluminescence in in that series, if you haven't seen it, that's a little bit of a spoiler. But yes. um <laughs> but yeah, they they are they're a bit more colourful. So it's it's interesting to see Jurassic take take that on as sort of an interesting concept for for yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I mean, they they, they explained it as uh, oh, Doctor Wu's been messing around with this dinosaur, but it's still nice to kind of see something a bit more flashy as well, because obviously modern day birds, uh, they can be really flashy with iridescent feathers. And we have, I mean, this is going on a bit of a tangent, but there is evidence that some dinosaurs and some Mesozoic era birds also had iridescent feathers. So that's uh, but not not hadrosaurs, if I'm correct they they wouldn't have had feathers or we don't know uh i, I don't think they would have but like mm. what we found and um, there's been quite a few mummified remains that have been found and yeah uh, there's been skin and intact and stuff i definitely think they would have been very colorful uh, yeah because like it just makes sense in terms of like that you look at sort of the diversification in terms of the, the head crest they're all yeah. so diff- you know different sizes and different shapes and stuff and you, you just have to think well why are they like that and it makes sense you know you look at birds today it's kind of a good reference point because obviously dinosaurs are very closely related to birds yeah um and it's just you look at sort of the you know the diversifications that we see in terms of the color you know, colorization and it kind of makes sense for hadrosaurs to have that because it you know they were socially very social animals that lived in massive herds and um, if they were going to communicate with one another or wanted to attract a mate, it makes sense that they'd be quite colourful, um, maybe yeah. displays for each other. And like you, you know, in Jurassic World, we do see a bit of a a bit of a display sequence going on um, behind do. the gyrosphere. Yeah. In the film, so they're kind of they're kind of battling just just out the, in the very corner of the frame, aren't they? They are. Yeah. I mean. It's, Two, it looks like two males, doesn't it? Yeah, like, it's like the uh, Lost World coloration, coloration which yeah. seems like it's the male. Yeah, um, that's no, that's I, I think that's something that did really well in the films with specifically Parasaurolophus was that pretty much from the get go, it's a really colourful animal, um, and yeah, like as we know now, dinosaurs would have been most likely really colourful, especially as James says with the with the crests, and that actually. Um, it makes me think back to what you said in the first film that you can spot some juveniles. Now we found fossilized juvenile Parasaurolophus, haven't we? And they have shorter crests, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yeah. Um. I mean, I did a poster earlier, well, this past year on hadrosaurs, and one of them was looking at uh, Parasaurolophus that was found in, I think it was found in Canada. Um. I I can't remember. What it's, I think it's called Rom. Is it Rom? 1400 or something like that okay and um it's a very young juvenile parasaurolophus and um like it's mostly intact really. I think it's the most intact juvenile they've, they've found it was found wow. in, that found in sort of 20, 2015 i think okay quite recent uh yeah fairly recent and yeah it just showed that the 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 um the crest sort of was started to develop fairly early on um and basically it kind of makes sense that as the you know the the, the animal grew obviously the crest would get bigger yeah um, but yeah i mean I, I, I have the information on it somewhere it's just like it's i've got so many things papers on you know hadrosaurs but yeah uh, it's difficult to try and remember much about this this specimen but uh but from what i remember it's, it was one of the most 
intact juvenile parasaurolophus that have been found and, and hold, holds a lot of information in terms of yeah. how they developed and, and stuff like that. So Yeah. So it would kind of suggest as well, if a, a, a juveniles have shorter crests, that the crests would have been come into more use as they reach maturity. So that kind of leads uh, lends credence to the whole um, mating displays. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah, I think that was the point actually of the paper was saying that they actually, I think they did reach sexual maturity within the first couple of years. Wow. Um, okay. So they reached it within a very short space of time. Um, yeah. And I think the reason for that was linked to the crest size as well, I think, as that sort of grew. Um, and I think that's all, yeah, again, like you said, to do with the fact that the, you know, the crest was potentially used for vocalization, but it might have been used for display as well in terms of attracting a mate. Um, which which does make sense, and obviously, yeah. if they're vocalizing, then obviously a lot of dinosaurs obviously had really great hearing, and we know hadrosaurs had really great hearing. Yeah. Um. So if a social, if a group was miles away, then and, you know, say a Parasaurolophus just got separated or whatever, uh, you know, if it started vocalizing, it that would probably get picked up by a you know a couple of miles away or something probably because of the the way it sort of is forcing air out through you know up through the um through the resonating chamber up through the yeah. crest and, and out so so yeah they're a very social animal definitely so that would have so basically would they would they take air in through their through their mouth or nostrils and then kind of it would resonate through their crest is that how it would yeah work? i think it would be through the nostrils yeah i think that's how it worked and then it would yeah come back yeah, through the mouth and whatnot yeah so cool yeah that's so cool and um I, when I was doing some research, I came across um, a study in which they kind of replicated the noise that it would make. And it's like a, a really, like, it's a digital version of the noise it would make, but it's like a really, like, low trumpeting noise, mm. um, which was so interesting to, to imagine, like, if, 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 it's that, if it's accurate that, you know, the, the Cretaceous landscape of North America would have just been like filled with these like trumpets yeah. going off. It's so cool, isn't it? And, and the thing is, you have to think about it. Wouldn't have just been hadrosaurs. There would have been loads of other dinosaurs making all yeah. these amazing, incredible noises. I mean, some of them would be, you know, maybe just like growls and stuff. There probably wouldn't have been like proper roars or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just like imagining what that, you know, what that scenario of you know the landscape of how it might have looked and how you know all these different creatures living together. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just it's an amazing thing to think about because obviously dinosaurs have been on the planet. Well, you know, we're on the planet longer than we have ever been here. Yeah, so it's absolutely. Just, it's, it's I find it so fascinating just the fact that they they, they were so successful. Just all yeah. of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, hadrosaurs especially because they just were so there's so many and just you know rapidly diversified you know so quickly and um, across the globe. Yeah. I think they um they do a relatively good job of the parasol uh vocalizations in the movies because they do have that kind of resident quality about them. Um but you don't get that full on like trumpet sound, do you? Uh not really. I think the only times that you know, I mean when the parasolophus in the lost world gets before it gets brought down, it sort of does this massive sort of trumpet sound and Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's really nice to sort of like hear these sounds. I know obviously they're made from obviously animals that we have around today. Yeah. But it's it you can like you hear that sound and it's just like, yeah, that's the parasaurolophus. Yeah. Well. It's quite you an iconic it. sound. Quite, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's, yeah, that that's a really good one to point at actually the 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 um the roundup scene in the Lost Worlds. Like it if you watch that on the big screen, it really does have bass to it when it kind of calls out and it pulls those guys up into the air on the rope. It's, yeah, you can really feel that kind of like, it would vibrate your bones, I feel, if you were standing next to it. I think something else as well that's worth talking about is how they moved. Because um, yeah. Jurassic has really done quite well with how hadrosaurs move. Um, and it's something that I've noticed, especially re-watching the films, if you watch the roundup sequence in the Lost World, we see the Parasaurolophus running. Yeah. And uh, we do know hadrosaurs ran bipedally and they ran on, you know, they walked on all fours and yeah. they probably run on all fours. So um, there's been, you know, simulation like gate reconstruction, which is looking at how hadrosaurs move. Yeah. Um, and there was a paper that was done in 2009. Um, 
I think it was some of the people at some of the paleontologists at the University of Manchester. Okay. And um, they were looking at how Edmontosaurus moved, um, and basically they they looked at how hadrosaurs could, you know, how fast they could run, and uh, also we know that they from from the study we know that they could switch between quadrupedalism, which is walking on all fours, to bipedalism, which is walking on just the, you know the two legs. Yeah. And um, the bipedalism they were able to achieve faster speeds. So it's likely that they did spend most of the time, you know, running on, on, on two legs. Um, and, and, you know, Jurassic has sort of shown that. And I actually really appreciate how they show it because it's sort of, the movement seems to be on point. If you look yeah. at how, how they move, um, and I would say that's probably one of the best things that Jurassic has actually achieved, actually, is how hadrosaurs have moved compared yeah. to something like T-Rex, where we know yeah. in the film, obviously, T-Rex is quite, sort of hyper you know the speed is a bit more you know than you know yeah a bit more than it should be really and they actually used to be a visual trickery as well to even make it faster than it should have been yes it? yeah i mean we know you know t-rex because you know maximum limit would have been potentially well it was between 15 to 20 miles per hour from what yeah. i know and you know that's still very fast for a bit of predator i mean that you know t-rex was you know 40 feet long and seven tons and whatnot and you know that's that's pretty fast but then you consider that hadrosaurs actually probably would have been i don't know 15 to 25 so i mean it, again it's it's they would, would have been fast as well i think you, you think about the fact that hadrosaurs were very much a herd you know herding and very social these these creatures yeah. are about 30 over 30 feet long and yeah. absolutely huge and you have those running towards you you know if you're <laughs> a small animal you're gonna get trampled like you know yeah yeah. I, feel, I feel like that's something that's often kind of um, kind of forgotten that these that hadrosaurs are massive animals. They are humongous. It's just like when they're put in films, you know, against other dinosaurs, they seem about oh, it's like a medium-sized dinosaur. But no, compared they to a human, huge. it's yeah. absolutely huge. It's like bigger than any land animal we have currently. Still, yeah. I think that's the thing, and the, the crazy thing is, I saw a photo on Twitter actually. Um, I think it was uh, David Hone who posted a, a photo from China. Okay. And he and he showed this skull of uh, it was a hadrosaur from China, and it was absolutely massive, and it was like one of the biggest skulls, and it was must have been about five, six feet long. Wow. It, that was just the skull, <laughs> and I was just like, that's you know, that's probably about I don't know forty, fifty foot creature right there, and it's just like that's just mad. Yeah. It's like how, how you know why were they that big? That's the question. It's like why 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 yeah. did that hadrosaur need to be that big? Like you know, that's a good it, point. It's 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 just so fascinating. I, I love it. I really do. I just love hadrosaurs. They're so they're so amazing. It really yeah, are. they really they they are they are awesome. Um, okay, so uh, on my first episode, uh, Tom Fishenden, uh, who was the guest. Um, he got me to give, uh, it was a Spinosaurus, he got me to give it a uh, genome percentage rating, as in, so the dinosaur in the movie, ooh, what percent of its genome was complete by InGen uh, out of 100%? So with it's obviously Jurassic science here, because yeah. <laughs> uh, every animal shares the majority of their genome uh, with with every other animal. Uh, but with with Parasaurolophus, I'd be tempted to give it a really high rating, especially in comparison to other dinosaurs in the in the franchise. Mm. Um, I would, I would personally, I'd go for around eighty to ninety percent complete. Uh, what yeah. would you say, Jake? Yeah, I'd go for about eighty to ninety percent as well. I mean, like from how it's featured in the film, it's very close to what we know. Yeah, from skeleton, and you know, from the new studies that have come out, it seems to reinforce what we've seen in the film in terms of like that accuracy really for that animal in terms of how it's presented i know all the jurassic dinosaurs themselves are, are not fully complete creatures you know they're not yeah. 100%, you know full pure dinosaur yeah um and you know and that's fine you know they shouldn't have to be because that's absolutely jurassic is, is something different so yeah but um but yeah i'd say the franchise you know it's definitely done the animal justice i'd say yeah so far. yeah for sure. Um, well, that, that moves us on to our second on-screen hadrosaur, which is the Corythosaurus, um, known from its first short and only appearance in Jurassic Park 3. Um, has been in some of the extended media, like Jurassic World Evolution, 
Um, but also there was a little hint of it in the Lost World in the in-gen field guide Roland had, um, but it was it was misidentified or even misspelled as Carnithosaurus. Did did you catch this, James? Yeah, I knew about this a while ago. Yeah, um, and they ch- I think it's because they changed it. Um, it was I think in the early scripts. It was going to be a different Hadrosaur, and then they changed it to Carithosaurus. Um, yeah. And obviously we saw it in, in JP3. Yeah. And that was really its only proper full-on appearance, really. Yeah. Um, um, so what I've got for um, for Carithosaurus, obviously because it's um, it's not seen so much, it's listed on the JP3 size chart as about um, seven meters long, which it... Actually, the same size as the Parasaurolophus is listed on on the same chart. And from what I understand, that's actually in the lower range of what these animals would have been like uh, in life. They would have been close to nine to ten meters long, which is quite interesting because JP has a habit of upsizing their dinosaurs. <laughs> well, it doesn't. It doesn't because, like with the Dilophosaurus, again, that was oh, yep. downsized, wasn't it? And there, was, there was there was a good reason for that as well. Spielberg didn't want the audience. Yeah used with this you know the dolophosaurus with the raptors yeah um so yeah i mean a lot of the again i mean there was going to be a stegosaurus in fallen kingdom which never made it into the film yeah it was really oversized oh i remember uh, seeing the, the pictures of that yeah it was yeah. A, the, the corpse wasn't it it was yeah and it was it was it was way too big and i think they tried to replicate the size of the lost world stegosaurus yes um, yeah but yeah, that was far too big, and I'm kind of glad it didn't make it into the film because it would have been like it's just like this massive genetic yeah. monopoly that's like <laughs> just like oversizing all the other dinosaurs on on the island. Yeah, that was quite massive. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So so Carithosaurus also found North America, Lake Cretaceous, um, discovered um, by Barnum Brown, I believe, who was the yeah. man who discovered Tyrannosaurus Rex as well um, in 1914. And from what I understand, Carithosaurus is known from many, 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 many uh, fossils compared to lots of other dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, it's, no, it's known many, from many sort of skulls and yeah. press, really. Yeah. Um, it's quite a, quite a common, common dinosaur, yeah. So if we were to distinguish a Carithosaurus from a Parasaurolophus as they appear in a film... The main difference, as with the real-life uh, animals, if you were just to look at them, would be probably the crest shape, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. So, uh, with Carithosaurus, did, would we know if they could use that for vocalizations, or was that disconnected? Uh, I'm trying to remember now. I did look at a couple of papers about this, uh, about Carithosaurus earlier this year. Um, I'm pretty sure... Difficult. I can't remember now. I honestly can't remember. That's the thing. I've got so many papers on. <laughs> so many. There's so many hadrosaurs. It, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of them. Um, but um, for sure, it would have used it for display, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, yeah. This one looks a bit like a like a, like a cassowary bird. I think. Like um, I think that's like even the species name is a reference to the, the cassowary bird found in in Australia and Southeast Asia with yeah. the kind of just the, the overall shape it's 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 not like a Very big similar. Yeah. yeah yeah it's not like a it's not like a horn looking thing it's more of like a uh i don't know how to describe it more of a that one's more of a quiff than yeah yeah <laughs> more, says about the like a bit of like a helmet i suppose isn't it suppose. yeah isn't that what its name means Hel- helmet lizards i think yeah oh on that note as well um parasaurolophus obviously that's a uh, one of the trickier names in the fandom to to kind of get your head around and, and to pronounce, but the the name meaning is near crested lizard. So because Saurolophus is another hadrosaur, That's and cool, yeah. Parasaurolophus was uh, similar but not quite there. I think that's where it got the name from. It's it's, it's just yeah. I mean. Jurassic World, when a Jurassic World Evolution hit, like that game, it was really great to see there was more hadrosaurs in there. Yeah. And like there's just so, because there's so many different hadrosaurs all throughout the world. It's like you've got like Lambiosaurus and then you've got like yeah. Sintausaurus and then it's just like, how do you pronounce some of these names? It's just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's like Allura Titan as well. And, oh, uh, yeah. 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 I like even some of them that like I've been studying like this past year, like looking at the, you know, measuring the dentaries and stuff. Like there's, 
you know, because I was looking at sort of early, um, sort of very early hadrosaurs, like Iguanodontian sort of outgroups as well. So then you've got like Mantellosaurus, Arthropheodensis. It's always like the last name bit that like, you always sort of struggle <laughs> with. Yeah. Um, obviously, that one's at the, the Natural History Museum in London, um, yes. which is, you know, obviously sort of one of the main focuses, really, isn't it? Um, yeah. As you go in. But then you've got like hadrosaurs like, um, you know, Prosaurolophus and Brachylophosaurus. I mean, like, wow. these names so are complicated. Many. Like, yeah. And, and the thing is, like, when you do, when, like, because I've done like workshops and stuff with kids and you say these names, these kids know it. Like I, I did a I did a workshop with the Bristol Dinosaur Project last year, yeah. and I I never forget I'll never forget this because I we went in and we were doing different activities, getting the kids to draw their own dinosaurs and stuff like this, and um, I I said to the kids, well, what's your favourite dinosaur then? And this little girl came up to me and she said, oh, my favourite dinosaur's the Parasaurolophus, and I was like. <laughs> how on earth do you know how to say that like i mean i as a kid i knew how to say certain dinosaur names as well but it's quite a complicated name for like yeah. a seven or eight year old kid to say it's a lot of syllables isn't it it is yeah and i was like yes that's a great 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 dinosaur because it's a hadrosaur and i love hadrosaurs as yeah. well yeah 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 it's it, yeah i mean the kids they, they just they just know it and it's just it's just mad but uh it's amazing. I think uh, there was like an interview, a, a televised interview with Crichton from the 90s where he was saying the exact same thing. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's incredible that they know these things, um, these these huge names. Um, but yeah, so we, we spoke a bit earlier about um, Hadrosaur's uh, mummified uh, fossils, so ones with skin impressions. And uh, the first uh, Carithosaurus discovered, the, they're called holotypes in science, uh, was found with skin impressions too. And it showed that they had uh, quite small scales on the sides of their body. Um, and so I think from the movie, it's hard to see, but they don't seem to have big like plates or anything on them. So I'd say that's quite accurate. Yeah, I mean, the patterning for the Carithosaurus is really quite vibrant, actually. Yeah. It's a bit of a mixture. I mean, we've got like the, the orange sort of ready sort of crest and then it's sort of a very much of a yellow mixture of a yellow and sort of purple sort of like this it's got yeah. like a sort of a speck sort of patterning really isn't it so yeah, it's gorgeous it's a it is really a pretty spot. creature yeah yeah, yeah they definitely. really did a good job in dress park 3 making the dinosaurs really colorful didn't they it's just a shame though in that sequence where we see them you know we see alan and you know the group running through it's such a brief scene. Yeah. And, and because there's a lot of motion blur in that sequence as well, you've yeah. really got to look out and look at the animal like really closely and as it's moving. Yeah. Uh, to be able to take it fully in. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it's really designed really well in the film. Definitely. Yeah. It, it's um it's a, yeah it's a shame that we don't have a scene where they I don't know how they could have done it because the raptors were already on their heels, but where they come into the the field and they have a moment to breathe and they the Carithosaurs are just standing around grazing and stuff, and you get to get to observe them for a moment before they all start running off. That would be yeah, cool. that would have been. It would have been a bit more. It would have been. I think that's the film Jurassic Park three sort of lapped really was those sequences where we just see the animals just you know yeah dinosaurs just be yeah. And we only really saw that when we have that that, that boat sequence when you know you, you see the Brachiosaurs yeah and, uh, over the river bank and stuff like that. So. <laughs> I know that yeah. that image of the Brachiosaurus has probably inspired a bit more terror than it was intended to as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I still <laughs> don't really get why they went with the design, especially with like the like the the skull design. It's just very contrasting. It doesn't make much sense in terms yeah. of the patterning. It's a little bit bit intimidating, and it's a little yeah. bit as well. It's just like the <laughs> the eyes are like bright orange, and like the yeah. skulls like like partly red, and yeah, it's a little bit little bit overwhelming, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Um, um, yeah, uh, back to Carithosaurus. Yeah, that that's a terrifying Brachiosaurus. Um, they they found some of the um, the the stomach contents fossilized in Carithosaurus. I I, I found out um, with things like um, conifer needles, uh, seeds, twigs, and fruits um, being fossilized within uh, the the cavity where the stomach would have been. So it's really, really cool when we this this happens occasionally where we well, well paleontologists discover fossils uh, with the stomach contents uh, still in there, and it gives a really, really 
good like solid piece of evidence to uh, to what they ate, which is especially with hadrosaurs, we've spoken about how their feeding mechanism was so so interesting. So it's it's really cool finding these pieces of evidence, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, I was reading papers this past year about um, another hadrosaur, Myosaura. Yeah. Um, in the the two medicine formation in Montana, and um, that you know they found fossilized coprolites, which are you know is fossilized poo. Yeah. And it's really interesting because obviously you can see the vegetation that's in there, but then part of the article was also about the other animals living at the time, and apparently those you know that type of fossilization well you know the type of dung that was being produced actually was really beneficial to dung beetles at the time wow and led to like you know sort of and dung beetles were sort of spreading it about and obviously that in a way sort of fertilized the ground as well so it's like this yeah. circle of life thing where we're actually getting an insight into how basically you know the you know the dinosaurs are basically affecting the the natural environment around them which is yeah. really interesting to read yeah, but yeah, I know like that with Crepusaurus, obviously stomach contents has been found, and obviously a lot of hadrosaurs is, but you know, it's been found in in the, in other specimens as well. Yeah, and it seems to showcase as well that um, there's there's definitely an overlap in terms of what hadrosaurs were eating and also what ceratopsians were eating. Right. Um, but the interesting thing with both the Lambiosaurine and um, the Sauroloponae hadrosaurs is that even though they were living, you know, the two different sort of groups of, within the Hadrosauridae, um, the, they never sort of overlapped in terms of what they were eating. So there was always like, they all, they all, they only, they all had their ecological sort of niches in right, terms of okay. what they were eating. So there was never a time where like Parasaurolophus would like overdo it onto like another Hadrosaur's sort of turf in terms of what it was eating. So they were yeah. very, I suppose, specialized for their own sort of, you know, own sort of, feeding niches which so they wouldn't have to compete for food in the same environment no and that's that's really fascinating because that's more evidence for why they were be able you know be able to diversify if they're not competing against each other then obviously that means that they're going to thrive because yeah there's no there's no reason for them not to um i mean there's other reasons in terms of why they, they you know they were specifically thriving you know we've got the environment and you know social you know social inter- interactions in terms of like parental upbringing um, yeah hadrosaurs are very very parental um probably i would say they're probably the most parental dinosaurs that we know about really right uh, and there's a lot of evidence of you know hadrosaurs looking after their young for a long period of time not leaving leave, leave them nest yeah um in terms of sort of the clutch of eggs the, the eggs were fairly you know the clutch of eggs was fairly large um and the fact that the hadrosaurs obviously so big as well it makes sense that they would stay together as a group longer because obviously the juveniles would be fairly small even though they grew quite rapidly over over a couple of years in terms of size um they're obviously going to be vulnerable to predators so it makes sense that hadrosaurs would be you know stay together as a group um you know because obviously there's you know numbers safety in numbers safety yeah numbers. so so yeah um, it's like what you'd see in in the modern day with large large herds of uh hoofed animals like in like an african savanna habitats like bison and uh and uh gazelle and stuff right yeah definitely i think it's interesting as well because hadrosaurs did have hooves um and obviously yeah. that was something that we've known about for a while but made the news again fairly recently i think yeah like, like last year or ever because someone posted a photo of like it was like a mummified leg from an oh it was from edmontosaurus yeah it was it was like, on the front legs wasn't it it was yes and um interesting enough that a lot of people were like raving about it and it was just like well we've sort of known <laughs> about that for a while <laughs> uh, but yeah it's, it's it is nice to see that you know those type of discoveries and you know it just lends a lot more to like what we know but then we still don't know so much about these these dinosaurs. Yeah. we really don't and it's it's so fascinating studying them and trying to work out you know why they they are the the way they are yeah yeah i think that's a that's a great point actually bringing up the hoof because um i don't know if the 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 hadrosaurs in the jurassic films have the hoof i think they've got they've got toes right they've got separate toes at the front of their of their forelimbs it's it's hard to really see because they're they're moving around quite a bit yeah i mean i think it's quite i think they do have yeah they do have toes from what i remember I'm a member of the films. I mean, I'm looking at the Jurassic, just currently looking at the Jurassic World website, just looking at the Edmontosaurus um, yeah. image, and that one's got toes. But then the yeah. front two legs are sort of a bit like a hoof. But um, yeah, 
which is nice to see. But again, yeah, I mean, cool. in terms of accuracy, I mean, I would say that the, the, the way the hadrosaurs have been depicted has been fairly spot on. Yeah. But obviously, because the dinosaurs aren't 100% pure, that, you know, then there's, there's going to be a bit of, in terms of sort of looking at animals today and maybe incorporating that more in. Yeah. Especially with the ceratopsian, like we see, like within the ceratopsians, that their feet are just completely wrong. Yeah. But, but you know, it's it's the way Jurassic has been. It's just yes. like, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not a science documentary. It's, it's you know, not. It's yeah. Not, you know, scientific fact. It's, yeah. You know, science fiction, and that's how we've got to accept it. I know we're yeah. getting. There's been a lot of paleontological advisors, you know, with Jack Horner, and now we've got Stephen Brasati. And yeah. obviously things may be more implemented in terms of how dinosaurs may look in terms of the colorization and, you know, accurate feathers and stuff like that. Yeah. But Jurassic is never going to be 100% pure paleo-accurate. And that's just something everyone has to accept. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, these are, <laughs> as said by Alan Grant, these are uh, theme park monsters. They were created for the park, you know, and the the whole narrative is that InGen produced these animals for profit. Uh, they are not meant to be accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's but it, it yeah it's 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 really cool to see those like little similarities though between the the movies and the fossil record. It is it's nice seeing those, isn't it? Yeah. Like you said with par- with the hadrosaurs, like there's so so many things that 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 are mirrored in the real life animal. Um, and actually, um, on that note, um, with Carithosaurus and, and Parasaurolophus, is that they have been discovered at the same formation, haven't they, in, in Canada? Yes, it's the Dinosaur Park formation. From what yeah, I'm... so in, obviously, yeah. Jurassic Park 3, our only scene in which Carithosaurus is in, it's formed a herd with Parasaurolophus. Is this something that they could have done in real life? I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's definitely possible um i mean it's you know we, you, when you look at how diversified dinosaurs were um yeah there were, there were so many of them living together in the same environment and yeah you know, even just probably going down to the riverbed and whatnot drinking you know, yeah. you're gonna be seeing a lot of you know species intermingling it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to stay together or whatnot, yeah. but then they're going to cross paths with, with one another, definitely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean... They would have shared their habitat with, like, ornithomimids, ceratopsians, pachycephalosaurs, so yeah. there would have been a lot of, yeah. of uh, yeah, bumping into one another, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and, yeah, because actually, yeah, in Lost World as well, it seems like there's a... I, I guess because the Inchan hunters have come and kind of stirred up the pot, but that all the all the, the herbivores seem to be in a similar location, and that could have been like yeah, like you said, like a watering hole or like a particularly fertile part of the island to feed on, and that that wouldn't be out of the question that they'd been found in the same place eating you know similar plants in the same area, but obviously not overlapping with other other hadrosaurs because they had that niche partitioning that you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it's probably likely that, you know, uh, the smaller dinosaurs probably would have stayed close to the hadrosaurs because, yeah. you know, they're big and, you know, very, quite strong. Obviously, big noisy you know, as well. Noisy, you know, they're yeah. going to, you know, a, a massive hurt, you know, say 400 of them together or whatever. Wow. I mean, that's just <laughs> an amazing thing to think about in terms of, you know, 400 how, many, strong. Yeah. How, many, how many numbers are we are we looking at here, potentially? Is it going to be like a group of 100? Or, you know, if they're looking at migration patterns, and yeah. if they're doing a migration, then you're gonna, you may get other groups migrating together. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, we still don't know in terms of, like, the you know, how many numbers they might have been. But I think it's nice to think about, actually, what if it was, like, 200, 300 strong? Yeah. Because you know, well, we have found fossilized trackways of of herbivorous dinosaurs that seem to be moving as a herd, haven't we? Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess in in places like where these hadrosaurs would have lived in swampy habitats, those would have fossilized quite nicely because they might have been on on like wet, damp soil uh, or muds that could uh, that could, uh, could fossilize. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah. So. Um, Unless you've got anything else to add for Carithosaurus, shall, shall we give Carithosaurus a genome ranking out of yeah, 100%? Yeah, I think that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a high one as well. I yeah, think. I, think, I think so. I mean, it's, 
we only see it very briefly in JP3. And yeah. I suppose like my one problem I have, I suppose, yeah. not just talking in terms of like Parasolophus or Crucosaurus, it's just the fact that I want Jurassic really to embrace Hadrosaurs a lot more. Yeah. Because we've only seen two. Yes. And there's so, so many, many different varieties. And yeah. They, they look so different. Um, thankfully, obviously, we've we've had more come in in terms of the games, like Jurassic yeah. Evolution and whatnot. But uh, it'd be nice if Dominion actually shows us some different Hadrosaurs. I'm not sure whether it will do. That's um, I don't know whether Camp Cretaceous Season 2 might bring a couple in that we haven't seen. Edmontosaurus would be really great. We know that was on the island. So, we know yeah. it's on the island, and yeah. we know it's on, you know, supposed to be on the island. We just haven't seen it yet. So, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're such great dinosaurs. It's just like we, you know, can't just have two in the franchise. Yeah. We need so many more. Definitely. And if, if I could also request something as well for future media, give them a proper scene. Like, in the original novel where the Myasaur herd are grazing, they stampede, and then Grant and the kids get to observe one up close, Let, let's get that. Let's get one yeah. of those. We need we need them to be brought to the front for at least one scene. Yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, I'm, I'm wanting a scene of... It would be just so great to have a, a pack of raptors or whatever take down a hadrosaur. It would just be so awesome to see. That would look um, good. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's very... I mean, that could be, like, similar based on the JP novel when you see the T-Rex take them down. Um, yeah. And, you know, Muldoon and, and Gennaro go off to, you know, you know find where the T-Rex is and yeah. stuff. But, I mean, yeah. Domin- it's, I suppose it depends where Dominion's going to go, but we know there's going to be more films after Dominion, so they can take any scene from the Jurassic novels and, like, they've done it already throughout the franchise anyway in terms of yeah. making it different and sort of referencing it or whatnot. whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to see more Hadrosaurs because there's yeah. so many of them, you know, Give There's us so more. much to tap into, yeah, definitely. Just yeah. give us more. We 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 deserve more hadrosaurs. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think Garethosaurus, I'm gonna say eighty to ninety percent as well, because for all the points you listed, they've done a really good job capturing hadrosaurs from the fossil record in the movies. Yeah, I think I'd probably maybe give it a little bit lower, just the I think I'd probably give about seventy to eighty. Yeah. Just but just because we haven't seen much of it really, that's the only reason. I think like, the, way it's, the way it's displayed is is fine. Um, you know, for what it was, but um, we just haven't seen enough of it within the Jurassic franchise. It'd be nice to see it make a comeback, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll get more Carithosaurus. Hopefully, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, well, until then, that brings us to the end of this episode of dino dna thank you so much for joining myself and james uh you can find uh my socials at connor ontology on instagram and twitter and james would you like to share yours yeah so you can find me at my blog which is called jurassicfindsblog.com but you can also follow me on twitter at jurassicjames1 um so yeah just give me a follow and yeah you can just keep up to date with all the jurassic stuff that i'm involved in Excellent. And yeah, please do give us a shout out on the Facebook Jurassic Park podcast group or on Twitter as to what dinosaur group you'd like to see on Dino DNA next time. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode of the Jurassic Park podcast. Of course, a huge thanks goes out to Connor and James for discussing the hadrosaurs of the Jurassic Park franchise. Uh, like I said in the intro, it's always great to get some some information that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you don't know. I definitely didn't know a lot of that stuff. I don't know a lot about the dinosaurs of the franchise. I know how they look in the film. I know how they act in the films. Uh, you know, we have things like Camp Cretaceous, which tries to expand the lore a bit, and that's really cool to see. And, uh, you know, I know it's not for everybody, and some things, whether it is in the films or in the, the show or the way that they're presented in the um, in the toy forms and stuff like that, I know there's always differences here and there, but I think it is it's good overall from my point of view is to... To see these differences, to learn about what what is the real thing, how do they actually operate as real creatures, and um, you know, I'm happy that we actually have some people here that are able to do that for us here and uh, present present some of the, the the better themes of these dinosaurs. So thank you so much to Connor 
and to James. So, uh, yes. But that about does it for this episode. Uh, so thank you again for listening. Thank you to all the new listeners out there. Thank you to all the old listeners. And uh, please go do all the things. Subscribe, like, share, you know, do all that good stuff. We really, really appreciate it. But most of all, make sure you're staying safe out there. Be kind to each and every person you interact with. Stay healthy. I'm trying to get better myself. Or I'm almost there. Almost there. Almost healthy enough. That's why I did not do a live stream last week. Uh, Hopefully I can do a live stream this week. We'll see. But uh, again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to myself for the outro. Thanks, everybody. Be sure to give us a follow over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod, and myself, at Brad Jost. Also on Facebook and Instagram, at Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to join the Jurassic Park Podcast group on Facebook. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So be sure to follow along. Also, don't miss our live streams, toy hunts, reviews, in-depth bonus content, gameplay, event and theme park coverage, and much more on our YouTube channel. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read your reviews at the end of most episodes, so be sure to spare no expense. Find us on the web at JurassicParkPodcast.com, where you'll find today's episode's show notes, articles, contributor bios, and so much more. If you want to get a hold of us, you can fill out the contact form on our website or send emails to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. We're always looking for new segments, contributors, mailbag submissions, or anybody who just wants to say hello. Feel free to call our voicemail line at any time to leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Make sure to be kind to everybody and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.